0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, your Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Uh, I would say good morning to our Mecca campus, but they're here with us this morning, and we're great, uh, gr- grateful to have you. Uh, welcome everyone who's listening uh, online, and our, well, our, our website's not working right now, but on Facebook Live and on our radio station. So what a great day to be in the house of the Lord, and what a great day it is outside. I'm thinking, this is December in Indiana, and I love it. Anybody with me here? I, I don't... Bing Crosby can have his white Christmas. I like it. Sunny, palm trees, right? I'm, I'm, I'm down. I love it. And I spent a lot of uh, Christmases on the beach in Hawaii, stationed there, uh, and I was kind of hoping the Lord would send me there for good, but well, it hadn't happened. Anyway, we're still having Christmas, yeah? And I'm grateful for Christmas. Are you grateful for Christmas? course. love Christmas for a lot of reasons, and it's like... It's like, after Christmas, we're like, what do we do now? <laughs> right? We, we've worked so hard and had so many things going on up to that point, and now it's like, what do we do now? And then comes the, what I call the blah days of January and February. And then in March, you're kind of thinking, well, it's starting to get better. And then by April, we're like, ready to go. And so I thought, what do I do at Christmas? What do I take a small hiatus from our sermon series? What do I do today? And so, as I was reading, it might shock you, but I was reading in the book of Revelation, which is, I'll do that a lot, I did my post work in it, and as I was looking at it, a couple things struck me, and I thought, I need to preach on that, and it ought to be a Christmas message, believe it or not. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Pretty easy to find, go to the end of the Bible, find the last book, and go to the first chapter. That's where you're going. doesn't really matter what page it's on. Revelation, believe it or not. (laughs) So here we go. We're going to take a look at this, uh, uh, just a couple of verses here in chapter 1. Scroll down to verse 4 and listen carefully. He says, To John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. Listen to this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests, to his God and Father, to him glory and dominion forever and ever. My friends, I began to think about that, and I said, wow. The firstborn from the dead, the faithful witness. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And my mind began to wonder about this statement and several other things. And I, I started thinking about firstborn firstborn. And my mind wandered even thir- further and I went back to my first grandchild. All the hopes and the dreams that I had for him. Everything I prayed for and more. And the thing is you just never know how a baby's going to turn out. Yeah? You just, you just you have all these dreams but you don't know. And I found another thing. Parents here's the, here's the, here's the grim reality. You can do everything right And they may not turn out right you can do everything right but they may not turn out right you know why because God gave us all a free will to make a decision it is a proven fact that those who choose to follow the Lord turn out and those that don't might not real simple people say that's not true yes it is true I've watched it happen again and again and again and you know what God had to get a hold of me to turn me around because I was heading the wrong direction. Anybody in here, Well, you are heading the wrong direction? A few, don't look around and see who it is, <laughs> right? But that happens, and God writes the ship. And I began to think about Nathan, and he would be embarrassed, and his parents are probably gonna be embarrassed you know, for me talking about him. But the fact of the matter is, I feel like more of an expert on this subject than I was a few years ago. Now, I adore all my grandchildren. I suspect all of you who have grandchildren, you adore them. But Nate was the first one. There's something about that. He was the first one. And when he was released to come home after birth, uh, Chris and and Jessica came to our house, and Jessica was doing something with her mom, and she put Nate in bed, in in, in Beth and I's bed, um, and I went in and crawled in with him. I don't know why, I just did. Um, And I didn't know this, but the whole time that we were sleeping there, Nathan somehow put his hand on my face and left it there. Is that right? Accurate? And she'd tell me she kept coming in and checking on him, and he kept it there the whole time, didn't he? For like, what, a couple hours, I think. Never moved. I didn't know he did it, and he, and he just left it there. And since that time, uh, I, I don't know, there was a bonding between me and Nate that's always been there. And over the next few months, and the year, next year, really, I constantly wanted to hold that kid. I took him everywhere. I had that kid with me. I'd, I'd load him up, put him in my truck, and I, when I went to the bank, I took Nate. When I went to the pastor's prayer group, I took Nate. When I went out to eat with somebody for lunch, I took Nate with me. Wherever I would I would call Jessica up because they live close. Can I take Nate? And she, and she and Chris were so gracious. Brand spanking a new baby, first grandchild, and let me cart that kid around everywhere. And I did too. And I would take him out. I had to go to the bank and show him off. I'd take him out, pass him around to everybody. Everybody wanted to hold the baby. I couldn't get enough of him. And people say, "What you have? You have how many grandkids?" Then I tell them they're stunned, and I but I can't I can't spare one of them because mm-hmm. they mean that much to me, right? I, it's true. If if you could have had your grandkids first, you would have. <laughs> it's true, no. you know. So anyway. I, re- I remember that Beth and I, would uh, we'd, we'd finish dinner or whatever each night in the first year, and, and uh, I would get on the horn, and we couldn't help ourselves. I would tell myself, now, you're not going to call and bug that young couple and try to steal their child again. You let them bond with their baby. And I would call them up, and it got to the point I stopped calling Jessica, started calling Chris, because I didn't want them, you know, either one of them to think, you know. Um, and, and they always said, I I'd, well, I'd say, well, do you think... uh. Nate would like some ice cream, and Chris would say, well, I'm sure he would. <laughs> and so we would go over there and pick him up, and he would go have ice cream with Mama and Papa. And that, that's, that's just what we did. And I, again, I, I, can't, I remember those days. Even now, I have pictures of you know, my grandkids all <coughs> sitting on the back of my truck with the, you know, the, bed, the tailgate down, and they're all eating ice cream. We still do that. It's just something special that, that I enjoy doing with them. And I remember at Christmas time that very first year, he was born in May, and then in uh, Christmas time he was still young, you know. And uh, Chris and Jess were at the house. I don't remember what we were doing. Um, and Jessica was doing something with her mom in the kitchen, and I put Nate up on my chest and just watched football and television. And for hours, I held that child. That's all I did. And I, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't get enough. I remember playing with him, throwing him on my shoulders, bouncing him around. I would dance around with him, and then I'd you know, uh, slam him up against the wall and bang my head against him, and he would giggle his full heart off. I couldn't do it today. He'd probably kill me. <laughs> but back then, I did it a lot. And I did it over and over and over again, and then I started doing it with all the grandkids. I would pick them up, and they loved it. The only one that doesn't like get thrown in the air is Zeke. The rest of them love it. And so you know, I just always kind of done that, and you've got to kind of learn how they are. And then you start having pet names for them, you know. You start having all these pet names and the things that you call them. And the little jingles I would make up that only he and I would understand or only they and I would understand. It's little things that, that do that. You see, my grandchildren are captivating to me. And I wonder about them all the time. And this grandparenting business is entirely different from being a parent, although I can't really explain it. And I find myself thinking about that little boy. And then the next little boy, and then the next little boy, and the next little boy, seven times until I got that little girl. And she's pretty gosh darn special. And then God was so good to me, he gave me another one. And don't you know, they named her after Beth and me. <laughs> you know. And she's rotten as all get out. And that comes from Beth, I know. But either way, she's <laughs> tremendous, you know. And I, I just, I, I and pray, I pray for them all separately and yet the same. And as I began to think about that, I realized that parents and grandparents have been wondering about children for a very long time. And it must have been that way, I think, when Jesus was born. Luke 2.19 tells us that after the shepherds visited Mary and no doubt shared what the the angels had said to them, that Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered on them. And I think there's a lot to think about. And then we find he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. And then we hear today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then she was told, and a sword will pierce your heart as well. Ooh. The last verse of Mark Lowry's beautiful, Mary, did you know, poses the question this way. Mary, did you know that your baby is Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. You never know how a baby is going to turn out, do you? But this one turned out to be the savior of the world. Not everyone knows that, friends. Not everybody understands it. And not everybody believes it. And as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, I would like us to remind ourselves, once again, who Jesus really is. And in this chapter of Revelation, verse 5, offers a threefold picture. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That is sermon-worthy. He really is. And so, these phrases, to me... Help us understand the true identity of this baby born in Bethlehem. And each one answers a question that we as humans would like to ask about Jesus Christ. Now, here's the questions. Question number one, can I trust him? That's a fair question. And I think it's the most basic of all. The people of this generation have heard the name Jesus many, many times. What they want to know is very simple. Can I trust him? and that's when I share Christ with somebody invariably that's the questions asking me well how do I know I can trust him can I trust this guy Jesus in a world of false prophets and teachers this is where I think we have to really begin we discover the answer in John's first title he calls him the faithful witness now a witness tells what he has seen or heard and a faithful witness is one whose testimony is reliable All the time, every time, over time. You understand? It's always reliable. Jesus reveals to John that he can be relied upon to tell tell the truth. Friends, I've heard a lot of people talk. And every now and then, maybe even more so now, I'll look at somebody and think, hmm, can I trust that? Can I I really believe that that's the truth? Because sometimes it could be what they've said, and sometimes it's just the person who's saying it. You know, you you learn pretty quickly whether people are truthful or not. You don't have to ask them. They tell you. You've seen it, and I've seen it. And when Jesus speaks, he only speaks the truth. That's what he said. His words are absolutely true. They're always authoritative. And when he stood before Pilate, he confessed, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth, he says, listens to me. Everyone. You see, Christ is the supreme truth-teller. And in a world where we're not sure what truth is, that's pretty good to know that everything he says will always be the truth. Now, it's it's possible we might not like the truth. Anybody here not necessarily always like the truth that you hear? Especially if it's about you. (laughs) That's a struggle, isn't it? So what happens if you don't like the truth that Jesus is speaking about you? Right? That's a tough place to be, isn't it? And yet, that's the only way we can have eternity, see? Is if we understand the truth and change it. So that it aligns with what he wants us to be. You see, this is an optional. You can't think what you want about it, or you can't interpret the truth any way you want to. We're good at doing that in a lot of things. But several hundred years ago, one commentator said that the title, Faithful Witness, means four things. What God said, Christ has made known. He taught without regard to the words of men, which is true. He was faithful even unto death, which is true. And he will reveal the truth in the end. (laughs) I think so. And it doesn't matter what you think of yourself or what others think of you. We spend too much time worrying about what everybody else thinks. We do. We are a vain people sometimes. And I'll go further than that. Look in the mirror sometime and tell me you don't have insecurities because you do. But that's because Satan and other people give them to you. Sometimes it's your circumstances. I have news for you. Your circumstances, other people, and Satan, when you face Christ, will not matter this much. What he thinks of you is the only thing that's going to count. Because he is the faithful witness. And he always will be. Friends, that's where I hang my hat. That's where I put everything I consider important. And I love this statement by John Watson. No one has yet discovered the word that Jesus ought to have said. None suggested the better word he might have said. And no action of his has ever shocked our moral sense. None has fallen short of the ideal. He is full of surprises, but they are all surprises of perfection. Man. I could probably bring a couple messages on that alone. That is, that is unbelievable to me. And yet every person has to deal with this fundamental issue about Jesus. Can I trust him? Some people will answer yes, many others will answer no. Why? Because they don't want to. Not that they can't, they don't want to. And others, well, they simply don't know, so they don't think about it, you know. But this issue is going to be settled, and until it is, there's no point in talking about anything else. Many years ago, a pastor by the name of Bob Harrington, he just died here a few years ago, he was the famous chaplain of Bourbon Street in New Orleans. He was known to be on the street at Bourbon Street in the, in the worst possible times, in the worst possible places, and all he did was smile at people, no matter what bar or horrific place they came out of. If you've ever been to Bourbon Street, you know what I'm talking about. And all he did was speak, speak truth to them about Jesus Christ. That's all he did. And he did it for years and years and years and years. Well, Pastor Bob was on the Phil Donahue show back in the 70s. And sitting across from him was a person you may remember. Her name was Madeline O'Hare, atheist, hated God, said he wasn't true. Anybody remember that? One of the, uh, the people who, who, who got prayer taken out of schools, one of the people who started this horrific tragedy of abortion. Okay. This woman was evil all day long. She's gone now, and she's got to answer for all that. But the fact of the matter is, on this Phil, Phil, Phil Donahue show, uh, at some point uh, in the uh, show, someone in the audience asked her what she was going to do when Jesus returned. I don't think today, probably, somebody would ask that. But in the 70s, they did. Why? Because most of America was a Christian in the 70s. Okay, So they asked her, what's she going to do? And she said, well, with great confidence, I." I don't care about that. It's not going to happen, so I have nothing to worry about. To which Bob Harrington replied, well, the Bible contains 318 verses that speak to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, Mrs. O'Hare just said he isn't going to return. So over here, you've got 318 verses from the Word of God that he gave to humankind. And over here, you've got one verse in the book of O'Hare. Who are you going to believe? To me, that's the key. So, the question is, who are you going to believe? Now, let's suppose you don't want to take my word for it. Read the record yourself. Take 30 days. Read the gospel account of Jesus Christ. Read the story for yourself. Come to your own conclusions. And I'll tell you what I believe is going to happen. If you read with an open mind and an open heart, if you really do that, you're going to come to this inevitable conclusion, my friends, that what Jesus says is true. And that his word can be eternally trusted. Now, I'm not saying anything to try to prove this to you. It's not my aim today. I want you to prove it to yourself, or disprove it if you want. But go into it with the right attitude, truly seeking the truth. I want to I travel back in time and stand before Pontius Pilate right alongside of Jesus. And when Pilate says, what is truth? I want to say, well, you're looking at it. And if you give him time, he'll prove it to you. I want to say that to him. I want to get the word of God, put it in Pilate's hands and say, now tell me what truth is. Give yourself 30 days, you'll know. I think it would transform the man. Because it transformed me, it transformed you, it transforms anybody who lays eyes on it. And when you read it, make up your own mind, and you're going to find he's eternally trustworthy. Can I trust him? You better believe I can, and I do, for a long time now. I changed my entire life direction because of him and for him. Why? Because I know that he is the faithful witness, and he proves it to me every single day. A second question. Does Christ have the power to help me? <laughs> so this, this is another question people want to ask when you share Christ with them. And the answer, my friends, is found in John's second title for the Christ. He calls him firstborn from the dead. <laughs> I think the firstborn from the dead can help you. Because it refers to his resurrection. What exactly does it mean? It means he's the first person who ever rose from the dead never to die again. This is a Christmas message, right? Yeah. Sure is. Now, what exactly does this mean? Well, during his ministry on earth, Jesus raised several people from the dead. If you read the accounts, you'll find that it's true but they had one thing in common. All the people Jesus raised would eventually die again, but not him. And when he came out of that tomb on Easter Sunday morning, he left the grave for good, amen? He left it for good. Because he's the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he's the first in a long line of people who are gonna be raised from the dead never to die again. And I take great comfort in this, my friends. I take great comfort because the Bible calls death the last enemy. But when you're in Jesus Christ, it's defeated. It, it's, 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 it's history. It's out there. It's gone. And you fear it no more. Why? Because you know where eternity is. The problem is, here's, here, here's why we fear it. Because we spend too much time building up treasure here, living this life right now. This one is the one we're living for, not the one that's coming. If, if the Christian church, friends, would, would, would change and start living for the one that's to come, it would transform the one we have now. That's a fact. Anybody dispute? You know, if, if, if you do, come and see me later and, and explain it to me, because I won't. I know what it looks like to live life now for the one that's to come. And unfortunately, I see Christians living this one. Now, I'm not their judge, but I can judge sinfulness. I can judge the fruits of the Spirit in somebody or not. I can judge whether they're speaking thinking, and acting like a Christian based on what the Word of God says or not? Can you? I think so. But see, Satan doesn't want you to do that. And that's why when you do it, everybody turns on you and says, Oh, the Bible says don't judge me. That's not what it says. But, of course, that's what they want to think it says. And you know why they want to say that. Have you ever wondered why people want the Bible to say things it doesn't and not say things that it does? Has anybody ever wondered that? Nobody in here but me has ever wondered those questions. Friends, it's because we are who we are, we want what we want, right? And so we're going to believe what we want to believe to do what we want to do. That's who we are. And God said, "Well, no, you need to do it my way." Now, Christ conquered the grave, and He did what no mortal has ever done. He's come back from the dead, never to die again. And what happens to those who believe in him? Well, thank God we're not left to wonder or speculate about it. You know, if you don't have Christ, yeah, you can wonder and speculate all day. But when you have him, you don't need to do that anymore because you already know. You know exactly what comes. In fact, God spoke to us through the Apostle Paul. And that subject, 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have already fallen asleep in Jesus. That means eternity. But notice this, if we believe. That's the key, if we believe. It's as simple and as difficult as that. Yeah? Believing in Jesus is simple or for some it's very difficult. Have you noticed that? When you're going through difficulty, sometimes it's hard for you to believe. Isn't it? Because you think, why would a loving God allow me to go through this? Well, I don't have the answer for that. And you know what? Maybe God doesn't want you to have the answer for that. Because in the end, that answer isn't important. Where you're going to spend eternity is important. And that's what you have to put your focus on. So maybe God's telling you, quit worrying about that. That's temporary. But the eternal one, that's the one you should focus on. You will never convince yourself of the resurrection, friends, by camping out and waiting for it. You're going to wait a long time. Start living your life in a manner and way so it doesn't matter when it happens amen that's what you do we have the word of God which overrides anything we can see with our eyes our faith in the resurrection of the dead does not rest on what our eyes can see our faith rests in the act of God when he raised Jesus from the dead and if God can do that then he can do anything does Jesus have the power to help you yes he does for he is the firstborn from the dead I believe it because I know it And if he can raise from the dead, he can help me in anything I face. And you know what? When I approach him with what I'm facing, what I'm facing doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal. Because that's how God operates. Question three. Is he going to take care of my future? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. Okay. I think you already know the answer. But suppose I do trust him. Suppose he does have the power to help me. Will Jesus take care of my future? Well, the answer comes in John's final title for Jesus. And to me it's rather breathtaking in its scope he calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth now the word ruler means he is the ultimate authority over all the earth the ultimate authority now Kings may be great in some way but Jesus has been and always will be greater now, convincing the king of that might be kind of difficult I mean Look at the pedestal we put our movie stars and musicians and people in Hollywood on. You know, can you imagine what a politician thinks? I mean, look, this is how it operates. But the fact is, they may be mighty, but he's mightier. And millions might answer to them, but everybody answers to Jesus. Everybody. Even the rulers themselves. And he's not just one of the kings. He rules over all the kings now a brilliant theologian by the name of dr. John Piper some of you may know who that is he's a pastor and college professor and he once spoke on this phrase and he he put the matter this way he said if George Bush says to Jesus how can you be the ruler over me I have my office by the election of the people of the United States a sovereign nation and by virtue of a constitutional inauguration and installation And Jesus is going to answer, well, I have my office as a ruler over you by God's election and by virtue of my resurrection from the dead, my indestructible life and my installation at God's right hand. But that message by John Piper was preached in 1989. And since then, we've had Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and now Joe Biden. The quote is still true no matter who occupies the The White House. It's as true for George Washington as it was for George Bush. It's as true for Abraham Lincoln as it is for John Kennedy, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden. It's the same. Who are the rulers of the earth that John's talking about? Well, they're the political leaders in their various spheres. They're mayors, councilmen, chairmen, governors, congressmen, senators, presidents, and prime ministers of every single variety. There are small-time kings who rule tiny realms and mighty kings who rule vast empires. Jesus Christ is ruler over every one of them. Doesn't matter what nation, doesn't matter what position, doesn't matter for how long, he's your ruler. Period. And you know what, friends? It's true that this world is in a mess. Anybody think this world's a man? That's why it's hard to believe that Jesus is ruler, everything, because if he was ruler, why is all this going on? Right? But in due time, Christ is going to step back onto the stage of world history. I believe I'm going to see it. And I want you to think on that for a minute. The hands that were nailed to the cross are someday going to rule the world. And even though we might not see it today, it's certain and sure fulfillment. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Read it for yourself and see how the story ends. In the meantime, at this very moment, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. By him they reign, and by him they don't. By him they are restrained, by him they are replaced, and by him they are and will be judged. So will Jesus take care of my future? Yes, he will for he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. You're in good hands, not with Allstate, but with Jesus. And you're in his hands because those hands rule the universe. Now, don't somebody go out there and say, Pastor Dan said, don't use Allstate. I didn't say that. But here's the ultimate questions. Jesus ruling the universe wasn't evident on that first night in Bethlehem, now was it? A casual onlooker could not have expected... The earth-shaking events that were taking place in a forgotten stable. In a tiny village. In a remote corner of the Roman Empire. The prospects for the young child didn't seem very promising based on the circumstances of his birth, to be honest. And I go back to my first statement. You can never really tell how a baby's going to turn out. But this one... Will surprise everybody and we're still surprised 2,000 years later what's the application well get a grip on Jesus and never let go hang on for dear life whatever you do there's gonna be some days when the devil's trying to separate you from him anybody know about that hang on don't listen get a grip when when you, that'll bring new things when someone says get a grip and <laughs> in about your situation get a grip on him how about that get a grip because no security is in anything else he's it today and tomorrow just as yesterday he's the answer to the deepest questions of life and as our worship team comes this morning can I trust him yes I can why for he is the faithful witness does he have the power to help me yes he does he is the firstborn from the dead will he take care of my future yes he will because he is the ruler of the kings of the earth in fact we all need him and we need him more now than you would ever know the truth is It's worth repeating. You're in good hands when you're in His hands. For those hands rule the universe. And isn't the song correct? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Place your life, my friends, in His strong hands, and you will never be disappointed. No one who is a true believer has ever been disappointed from the moment of His appearing, even until now. And you won't either. And that you can bank. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.